Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today's guest is Kevin Wilson, professional hitting consultant. For over 19 years, Kevin has been one of the most sought after hitting consultants in the game. He currently works with, or has worked with, minor league and major league players from all 30 major league baseball organizations. And in 2013, Kevin was the hitting coach for USA Baseball 18U national team, and Team USA beat Japan for the gold medal at the IBAF World Cup in Taiwan. So on the show, Kevin and I discuss how hitting is a conversation. He walks through what it sounds like to be in the cage with him, and we spend some time on how we can take five minutes a day and make an impact that will last a lifetime. This episode is so good, and here is Kevin Wilson. K-Dub, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me, man. It's just what an honor to be here. Definitely. Well, I'm, I'm honored that you are on here. I know that, that I spoke with you about a week or two ago, and I told you how big of an influence that KWB Radio and you and Joe Ferraro had on my career, especially early on. And I feel like I know you super, super well just because of the content that you guys put out. But for our listeners who want to get to know you a little bit better, do you mind you know, going through a little bit about your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching? Yeah, well, those are very kind words, first of all, Jonathan. I appreciate that. And it's, uh, it's always flattering to hear, especially years later, that you know, what we did and the people, more importantly, that we had on the podcast, just like you, you just never know who you touch. So that was very kind of you to share that and, and bring that up again here. But you know, kind of, um, you know, saying that, uh, you know, my baseball career was a lot like everybody else's, I think, in the game just growing up. Uh, maybe uh, a little bit different at, at first. I was a hockey player growing up and played baseball a little bit. And by the time I got to high school as a freshman, that's when I really honed in on baseball. So I was a little, I wasn't an early adopter. I was more of a late adopter to it. And so, um, and that's where Joe Ferrero, uh, our podcast host, uh, comes into play where, as a freshman, I was on varsity, scared out of my mind. And the short version of that is that uh, he put his arm around me on the bench. And um, as a junior, we're the same age, but he's two years ahead. I'm two years behind. So I'll let the audience decipher who's smarter or not with that. But uh, Joe uh, put his arm around me and he really started to lift me up and guide me. Um, I was a scaredy freshman that uh, was like, what am I doing here? I just want to be with my freshman teammates, you know, on freshman ball in high school. So um, that's kind of where it kind of started for me in terms of like, maybe I have, uh, after Joe put his arm around me, I said, like, maybe I do have a chance at being a good high school player, you know, and really nothing more than that. I always aspired to be an NHL hockey player growing up in Philadelphia. So, um, you know, and then, then his wisdom and guidance, uh, you know, we were double play partners for two years and, uh, when he left and went to college, um, you know, I kind of was on my own, but. Uh, it was cool because his dad was a coach uh, for us, and he really helped me with some fielding stuff and some life stuff and baseball all around. Uh, so by the time I was a senior, my senior year of high school was actually the only year I had that was good. Um, and so I didn't uh, sign on to go to college. I went to the University of Cincinnati. I didn't sign until after I graduated high school, which if you tell a parent now that today, they think you're, you know, you're strange and weird. And yeah, that was mm-hmm. uh, almost 25 years ago, but... <laughs> Point being is that um, you know for uh, for where I was in my journey and what I was doing, I was a late bloomer in a lot of the, the stuff. I had the talent, which a lot of guys do, right? But I just really didn't put it together to that last last year, and thankfully I did. 
And then I got a chance to play at UC. And then I got a chance to play after UC pro ball for a few years. And, um, you know, how I got into coaching was literally in the off seasons, um, I was doing lessons to make money, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I make money, not much money in pro ball when you start out. So, and lessons 20 years ago was not a huge thing as it is nowadays. So, um, looking back 20 years ago and I, uh, I kind of look back and think one, um, kind of a newer concept of sorts. Uh, I was just trying to make some money and, and pass the time in the off season to, um, looking back really what the heck I was doing. Um, I was a switch hitter, middle infielder. I, I knew what I was doing on both sides and of my swings. And I knew enough to be dangerous to, to help a, an eight year old or a 10 year old or a 12 year old. Um, but certainly I didn't have the Rolodex of stuff I do fast forward 20 years now. And anybody could say that in any profession that they're in, obviously, but sure. I look back and think that, wow, man, you know, I wish I had some of the numbers of those guys to, to, to uh, call them and say, I apologize for whatever it is I'm teaching you in terms of maybe not specifically tailoring it to you. I apologize. I just didn't have enough, um, you know, uh, clubs in my bag, so to speak. Didn't have enough plays in my playbook uh, uh, kind of related to you. So um, I started out giving lessons and I did that for over 10 plus years. And, uh, you know, after I got done playing, um, about six years into that 10 years of, of doing lessons, um, you know, I, I had to find out what I wanted to do, right? Like everybody's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay in baseball? Do I want to coach? And, you know, I have, uh, what I used to call rejection letters, I have 30 letters when I used to mail you letters back in the day, I have 30 letters from MLB teams saying, uh, no, you know, thank you for your interest in being a hitting coach. Uh, but no, thank you. And, um, you know, I, I had them as motivation uh, for a number of years as I was still going through kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and I said, at the end of the day, I said, I think I'm good enough. And I'll get more confidence. And I said, uh, you know, I think that uh, I can help professional players. You know, towards the end of my career, I was helping my teammates. So I knew that I knew what that level looked like, felt like, uh, smelled like, however you want to describe it. Uh, I knew off the field what, what challenges are there and on the field what challenges were there um but just because somebody wasn't giving me a shot um i decided you know what i'm not going to let them dictate kind of what i think i can do and some of it was naive and some of it was kind of just that that uh, naive courage or um what's the word i'm looking for just um you know you're just kind of like that faith the leap of faith so i'm just going to do this and sometimes we need that <laughs> you don't know all of what's ahead of you but you, you you've got enough conviction in yourself of knowing that you can do it uh, that you go ahead and do it. And so I got into consulting, what I'm doing now all these years later, and the best part about it, um, of the of what I've learned over the years is, man, it's just the relationships, right? Just like, like you and I are here on uh, in this conversation and, and all the people you meet along the way and uh, the people that pour into you. And, um, you know, that's that's why – I'm glad I got into it. Not because, you know, you can say you work with a big leaguer or you work with so-and-so and that has, to me, that doesn't matter. And people closest to me know that it doesn't, that doesn't matter whatsoever. It's the people that matter the most. So, um, yeah, I got into it, uh, for the money and certainly not doing it now, um, for the money, um, doing it for the purposes to help people, um, on and off the field, become a more of a hitting mentor than a hitting coach. 
Yeah, I've heard you mention the word mentor several different times, and, and I know that's in your Twitter bio too, which is really, really neat. But tell us a little bit about, you know, when you're working with some of the best guys in the world, what is what does being a mentor to them look like? Like what like I, I know that we look at you know, from a professional standpoint, we look at a mentor as someone who guides us, as someone who gives us advice and yada, yada. But specifically speaking for you, uh, I'm sure that's all of the above, but give us a little bit of, of description and some detail into what that would look like for you. Yeah, Jonathan, it's just being somebody who's a world-class listener, you know, and, and you know this too, it's, you know, especially at the highest levels, there's just such a lot of anxiety that goes that, you know, you have people have anxiety in high school or college or, you know, even the minor leagues too. But, um, you know, there are so many things that go through a player's mind, went through my mind, went through your mind, went through our listeners' minds when we played. So many things that go through your mind that, you know, that really hinders your performance on the field. So as a mentor, it's, you know, been through it as a player and, you know, going through it still as a coach. And because you listen, you get to, this whole other world opens up to you about what other people are going through, what's on their mind, not necessarily how they're feeling. You know, in terms of asking questions, it's, you know, if I ask you, Jonathan, how you feel, um, and then I ask you, what's on your mind, mm-hmm. that's going to elicit two different responses. Absolutely. And it depends on what I'm looking for. But in terms of your question and the topic we're on right now as a mentor is, I want to know what's on your mind. Because what's on your mind is ultimately what uh, are there going to be answers inside what's on your mind in terms of what comes out of your mouth that most of the time the player answers their own question. I'm just there to, to again, to be a world-class listener. Along the way, I, I want to be that world-class listener because there's going to be some signposts, some red flags, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that come out that certainly I can, you know, they're warning signs for me to latch on to and maybe follow back around with. But I think all of us as human beings, and this is the most important part of it, I feel, is if you're coaching the person, if you're coaching the human being, if you're mentoring, you're leading, you're guiding the person, we all want to be heard, right? We all want to just get stuff off our chest. Somebody just listen to us. And that's a lot of us. And that's a and if we have somebody that we trust, um, that we can share our, our innermost feelings, anxieties, our whatever pressures or whatever is on our mind, um, that as a player in this case um, gives us the freedom to navigate knowing that we're not doing it by ourselves. So I just try to walk up alongside them, remind them they're not alone. They know that I'm, uh, I'm listening intently to understand where they're coming from. I don't try to teach them. I don't try to uh, discipline them. I don't try to do anything other than meet them where they're at and help them build out from there. And again, most of the time they answer their own questions. They're like, man, thanks. You, thank you so much. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I just sat here and listened. But I think it's really, really important to listen because there are a lot of people that are looking for people to do just that for them, just to listen. Okay. And, and that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, you know, building trust and do a lot of players come to you uh, or does their agent kind of lead them towards you? How does that really work? Cause that'll kind of uh, help me construct my next question. Uh, as of now, it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, it really is a lot of word of mouth stuff. Um, 
you know, it could be uh, agents really don't talk to other agents, but like a player will call their agent because their teammate, you know, I work with their teammate or that kind of stuff. And, okay. um, and, and, and now pretty much um, at the beginning it was a little bit different, right? People are getting to know me and um, you know, kind of who I, who I am and kind of what I um, believe in, so to speak, or kind of, you know, my way of, of going about things. And certainly my way is not the best way. I just kind of the way that I, I do it and I like to do it. And I feel like uh, produces a lot of good results for that player. Uh, we just touched upon briefly about one of the ways, but um, also the other thing to that too, is like, I'm not for everybody, mm-hmm. but I am for somebody. And so as more over the years, as more players are out there and you know how players are, right? They talk and, um, and you know, they'll kind of already know like, all right, this guy, I, I wish he, you could work with him, but I don't think you, you're going to jive with him or he, him with you. He's looking for more of this type of guy, which is absolutely fine. I think that's a big part of it is you got to find who's the right one for you as a player. So yeah, so it could be an agent thing. It could be a player thing. Um, it's a little bit of both now. Okay. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I think that we're tasked with as coaches is trying to build trust with guys. And so there's two, two sides to that, too. I think that if they're reaching out to you, then you've already gotten some street cred, which is going to give them, you know, more of, of, a, of an ability to trust you, I guess. But then you've also got the flip side of that that, that says, hey, my agent was trying to uh, get me to call you and they may not know you as well. And, and so that's a, that's a whole different intro to the conversation, I guess you would say. Uh, and so let's, let's run with that one a little bit. So if, if a guy doesn't necessarily reach out on his own for you, uh, which is, you know, what we get as on-field coaches uh, a lot of the times and what you did as well, they're kind of, I, I, in a nice way, they're stuck with us. Right. Uh, and then with, with, if, if they're not reaching out to you, then you've got to, you try and, you know, break down those barriers a little bit and, and break down the walls that are, you know, we are, we, as baseball players, we're, we've got some ego and, and if we don't trust somebody then we're not going to open up to them. We're, you know, we're men as well, which is, you know, one of our downfalls, I guess you could say, we, we don't have uh, a lot of vulnerability. We don't share that a ton, but how do you go about breaking that down? Because I think that if we all did a better job of, of trying to gain that trust early on and trying to get to know them better as an individual, sharing some vulnerability and all of that, we, we would be able to help them rather than, you know, sharing this or that drill, but just kind of walk us through your process of what it's like whenever you are trying to get to know them, uh, especially if they haven't reached out to you first. This is so good, man. I, I, I love talking about it because it's something I certainly had to learn. Um, but I learned it. It's funny. I'll, I'll still go back to the beginning. I learned it as a player. As I mentioned, I was a switch hitter, and I think a lot of people can relate to this just in terms of as a player and a coach relationship. So me as a player, uh, the best coaches I had were the ones that didn't try to force me into a way of doing things. And as a switch hitter, a lot of guys tried to get me to do the same thing on both sides. So as a switch hitter, I, I knew in my heart of hearts, I knew that I was different. I was bipolar in a sense, in the same as a baseball player. I was totally different on the left side and I was the right side. And I knew it, so I knew enough to be dangerous, but I didn't know as much as how to maintain it, maintenance it, make, maximize it, however you want to talk about it. Sure. And the guys that I had, 
that were the ones that came alongside me, asked me a million questions, meaning going back to, hey, how'd you do in high school? How'd you do it in college? How'd you do it last year? To how do you like to do it? To, hey, what's your family situation? Um, what do you like at home? Um, brothers, sisters, wife, girlfriend, you know, aunts, uncles, where, you know, what do you like? Fishing, golfing, all that. And so that gave me a glimpse, even though I was a little bit um, self-centered, and I think you got to be as a player, you got to kind of <laughs> gotta stay in your lane and, and, and sweep your own floor mm-hmm. uh, or else you get run out of town. But um, when I got into coaching, I was like, man, the guys that really took an interest in me as a person first, and they asked me how I liked to do it, I trusted them more. Instead of the guy that came in, or the coordinator, or whoever said, this is what we're doing, this is an organizational philosophy, and I don't care where you're from or what you do, this is, you know, my way of the highway. And certainly back then, there was more of that going on um, than there is uh, today in some regards. And then today there is still some of the same. Maybe just sounds a little bit different or looks a little different, but it's the same. So for me, at the very beginning as a player, I was like, man, I I want to be that guy that I really trusted. And then there was, I was tasked with trying to figure out what's, you know, my coaching language, right? Like, how am I going to do that myself with my own personality and my experiences that way? So for me, how you gain trust is you really take uh, the time, the intentional time to get to know somebody as a person first and let them know that, listen, man, this is your career, not not mine. You know, I haven't played in years and years. It has nothing to do with that me. You know, I'm just a ball flipper. My job is to get you to know yourself the best know thyself understand why you do what you do um i need you to tell me how you like to do it. if you stay on top of your head and hit live drives you got to teach me that because i don't know how that works but i'm fascinated to learn because if you do it well i need to get it on your page um and then sharing experiences too if a guy's from a certain part of the country or he's a certain level or you know he's you know hitting the seven line drives in a row and he's frustrated and you know, I could tell him like, hey, man, you know, I went eight, oh, for eight with eight liners or I went three for 51 with, you know, 25 strikeouts and, you know, relating to them because at the end of the day, they don't come to you as a player. They don't come to a coach if they're doing well. I kid people. I said, I hang out with miserable people seven months a year. <laughs> so the off season is my most fun part because there's no stats, right? And we have a blast and I have a blast during the season too. Don't get me wrong. And my why is to help people. So I I love when I can be that per- person that they can slide up next to and, and, you know, after gaining that trust. But they don't come to us as coaches when things are going well. Uh, they come to us when things are going bad. And so how you gain that trust for them to actually come to you when things are going bad, it has little to do with the baseball side of things, it has a lot to do at the beginning with getting to know them as a person, opening up to them what you're comfortable opening up with, trying to get some relatable things between you guys, and uh, and then work out from there. And then on the baseball side where the trust comes in and kind of fast forward to kind of like, like what you're alluding to nowadays is like as coaches, we can't mess people up. And it's our job. And it's, it, it's some people might have some, you know, feel some pressure with that. I mean, I, personally, I don't feel pressure with that. I'm I'm confident in what I do. It certainly don't doesn't mean that I know everything. No, I'm just very confident in what I do um, because so many players have taught me so many different ways because I've been listening. So they're the ones that really taught me. 
Um, but if I mess up, it's one thing, like I, I tell guys, like if you mess up a 10 year old in a lesson, no one's going to know about it. But if you mess up a millionaire, everybody's going to know it. And somebody in my position will be out of a job in a hurry. So it, you get to know them as a person. They trust you that it's not about you as a coach. It's about them. You show it in your actions and your words and listening intently to understand. And then your track record of giving good information that fits that player individually for them that works and it produces results. And that's ultimately where you get the trust on the baseball side is when you're, you've done it for a while and you don't mess people up. Um, and they'll certainly trust you with their um, career, especially on the professional side. No, I love that. And, and, you know, a lot of our listeners are in the amateur setting and a lot of high school coaches, a lot of college coaches. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to turn the question around on you a little bit and, and kind of play devil's advocate a, a little bit, I guess. And, and say, so Kevin, I'm a, let's say I'm a high school head coach and I'm like, man, I really like what you're saying, but I also teach, you know, five classes. Uh, I have them for an hour in the off season every day. And then during the season, we're playing five days a week. I just don't know, you know, I don't have unlimited time like you do. So what would your advice for me be if I wanted to do a similar thing to what you're doing, which is having them own the process and then letting them run with it versus, and, and again, with, with amateur guys, it's hit or miss on what, how motivated they are and even every single day. And so just kind of what's your advice on that? Because I think that that's a route that we could all take and free up some time in the back end if we do it in the front end. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can do that better in the amateur setting. Yeah, this this is something that comes up often. And Joe and I did a, a I can't remember what episode it was on KWB radio. We did an episode when he was coaching at Bronxville High School in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and I had these conversations. Um, and it, it revolves around this theme of all, all, it, all it takes is five minutes to change someone's life. Okay. And I always preface it that way. And I paint a picture of Think about how many five minutes we have in any particular day, five minutes we are on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or five minutes we're standing in line at Starbucks pre post COVID, <laughs> um, you know, five minutes um, doing anything that, that we are. We have a lot of five minutes and this goes back to the, the intentionality behind things is if I truly care about my, uh, you know, 20 high school guys or 35 college guys. And I do a lot of work with high schools and colleges through the KWB experiences. And I've, I've helped coaches and I mentor a lot of high school and college coaches as well. And when they implement this idea and they put it in the practice of really taking five minutes out of their day, and it could be one five minute out of their day to connect with a, a player on their team, whether it's walking from the clubhouse to the field, from the bus to the field, from you know their office to the locker room, text messaging them, um, um, you know, maybe sending them a quick email if it's a if that's the way that the player communicates. If they're like Joe Ferraro and he loves email, um, finding out how they communicate and, and really taking that, that five minutes and just checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. Right. And if you're a teacher, um, uh, high school teacher, right, you're teaching the classes and you have some of your players, for example, in your classes or you see them in the hall and there's as you get to know your players, you see something's off. Right. Um, You find some time within that day or that evening, again, whether it's a 
text message or you talk to them. Um, uh, and I, and I, and I don't like to, to do this. And this is something just kind of sidebars. I always hated when coaches brought me in their office, whether it was a field court, like a, like a farm director or a college coach or a high school coach. Cause I always felt like I was in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of like really understanding the whole gamut of things, I always loved to do meetings outside, uh, an office or a setting where maybe the player just feels like he's getting disciplined or something. And all you're trying to do is just check in with them five minutes uh, and see how they're, how they're doing their family. Hey man, you looked a little hunched over today, a little slouchy, like you, you okay. Uh, what's on your mind? Anything I can do to help something simple as that. You may not get anything in return. If you got a high school kid, because maybe they just don't want to talk or you're, you're just starting this relationship. But if you sure. take five minutes and you go through your roster intentionally checking in with guys a few times a week. Now it takes work on the front end, I tell guys, but you the rewards will be unbelievable on the back end of it. And you got to do a little legwork at first, checking in with them uh, throughout the week, um, you know, five minutes. But at the end of it, man, you do less work at the end because of the fact of it's almost like a flywheel effect. Once you get the flywheel going, I'm not saying it's going to run smooth, but the touches you get on guys, whether it's in the stretch, you know, circle stretch on the field, you're just going around and, or during BP, um, guys go out and, and just, you know, go around the field and checking in with guys during BP, you know, pitchers are shagging or just standing out there. Whatever your method, however you think works best for you, the end result, playing the long game here, is you're going to be more connected with your players because you're getting touches on them. It's not going to take a long time. Your five minutes might be just a 30-second check-in, but it means the world to them, whether they tell you or not, especially with the younger guys. You sometimes can't read them for what they're taking in. But at the end of the day, they know you care because it's the saying, you know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And those five minutes checking in with them, um, you can still get your, your, your class schedule ready. You can still get your practice plan ready. You can still – Spend time with your family. We're not asking for a lot. I'm just asking for five minutes. And can you do that with one player? If you do that with one player today, you can do that with two tomorrow and three the next day and so on and so forth. So that's my challenge to all coaches, but in particular, guys that uh, have a busy schedule. Um, if it means enough to you um, to really touch the person that you're with and really pour into them and plant those seeds because at the end of the day, right, baseball is a great platform to teach life lessons from. What a great platform. Absolutely. And I think that if we're intentional about those five minutes, the end result for me, and I know for some other people, is when that high school player is 25 and he's getting married, that you get an invitation as a coach because you took the five minutes when he was in high school. He took the five minutes when he was in college or pro ball, either way. One of the, the best things is being able to uh, tell my family we're going to another wedding. And because that's, I know that, um, again, my purpose to what I'm doing is not to get you to become a better hitter. That's the, that's the, the side uh, result of it. I want you to be a better person, a better future husband and better brother a uh, better father in the future, that kind of stuff. And so if we're intentional about our five minutes now, 
we plant the seeds, we're going to see what it blooms into down the road. I love that. And, and again, I, I love how you're taking the, you're making a better person and you're going to make a better baseball player. And I think that that's been said so many times on the podcast that I, I can't even count it, but whenever I'm interviewing people, obviously I, I see something in them or someone else sees something in them that makes them good. So when you hear it over and over, you're like, okay, all of these good coaches are saying this thing, then, then I'm probably going to listen. And that's, that's definitely one of the things that has stood out. And so let's, let's talk about an in cage conversation. Cause again, you're a professional hitting consultant. So you are focused on being a mentor and helping them off the field, but also uh, for them to have a job, they've got to produce on the field. And so let's take us through what, you know, say that I, I am getting help from you and we've had some phone conversations. You've gotten to know me a little bit and now I'm coming to your facility and we're just going to, you know, go through some different things. Can you give us a peek inside what that, what a session like that would look like? Sure. It's a uh, beauty of it. It's, it's similar for most, but really so different for everybody because it's so individualized. But like you come in the cage and, and say, I, I've only seen some game video of you and don't know too much about you. Uh, again, it goes back to the questions and I want to know all that I can about you. I mean, before you even get in the cage, we're going to have a little consultation before and set out a game plan because we don't have time to waste, <laughs> I think, at any level, right? You don't have time to waste, and certainly you mentioned it earlier. I do have a little bit more time than, say, the, you know, the college or the high school. But at the end of the day, we all still have the same amount of time to get results quickly. And it's my job to not mess around, and we need to get you ready in a three-month offseason, for example. Uh, we need you to get make a change if you want to make a ch change. We need you to get a little bit more an understanding of why you do things better in, in a short amount of time. So when you walk in the cage, I'm going to pepper you with questions. Um, I'm going to be that world-class listener. I want you to go through your routine. Show me how you do it before we even do anything new. Show me how you've done it and tell me why you do exactly everything that you do. Why you put the ball in the tee the way you do. Why do you do high tee or low tee or why do you not even do a tee? Why do you use a short bat? Why do you do this? And so um, I want to give you ownership of your career because, number one, we talked about before, it is your career. Um, but I want to uh, show that and, and allow you to feel that, that, okay, this guy's for real. Like he's allowing me to do my things. I'm, I always say that, my, you know, the cage is a judge-free zone. I've been there, man. I've fouled a ball off, rolled it over, struck out, been frustrated through the bat. Like you're allowed to experience it all, and I get it. Um, and so, you know, you're going to allow to, you're going to be allowed to be yourself and I'm going to let you go through your whole routine. And at the end of it, um, because of the answers you gave me and the, from the questions I asked you, I'm going to know you a little bit more about why you do it. Um, and I'm going to make my own assumption, not assumptions, but I'm going to make my own calculations based upon what you say. And I'm going to understand what you understand or what you you don't understand or what you know and what you don't know. I'm going to let my eyes tell me what I see. I'm going to merge that and combine that with what you said and what you feel and what you feel is most important for you. And then, like you mentioned before, you know, having a conversation, you know, hitting is a conversation. So, you know, we're going to have that conversation about where we're going to go. Here you are right now. 
you know, where do you want to be three months from now, Jonathan? Where do you want to be four years from now? How do you want to do it? Who do you want to be known for? And what do you want to be known for? So a lot of those things come into play. So therefore, you're telling me exactly where you want to go. But it's my job to have a vision for you and just fill in the blanks. Because you know as a player, you know enough to be dangerous. As a coach, um, we have the experience to be able to kind of see where some of those holes need to be filled. And again, we're not judging you for anything that you don't know. And we're, we're going to be able to, again, walk alongside you and just naturally fill in those holes. So at the end of the day, you walk away feeling like it's your swing, it's your approach, it's your career, and that I was just flipping the balls at the end of the day. And because you answered the questions and because you, you figured things out just through our conversation, you take full ownership of it. And this is, by the way, the worst marketing you could ever do for any business. But I, I, I truly believe this, and guys that work with me, they know, I really believe this when I tell you, like, I don't want to be your hitting coach. <laughs> you know, you've heard people say, and I agree all the time, like, you know, as hitting coaches, we're your assistant hitting coach. You as a player, you're the main hitting coach. Um, I don't want to be your hitting coach because um, I want you to be able to teach yourself through all of it. I certainly will be here for you, of course, and that's when the men mentor piece kind of takes over there towards the end is when you know why you're doing everything as a hitter um our cage sessions turn into more of kind of just we're having conversations about life and i turn into that ball flipper and yeah you came in to get your work but at the end of the day you you're you got some more answers to your questions and perhaps maybe some of the off the field stuff that's bothering you but to anybody observing they think it's just a, a hitting session but in reality it's 10% of it, 90% is the other stuff that we talk about. No, I really like that a lot. And, and again, with, with you especially, and I think with, with all good coaches, we have no ego in regards to getting credit. I think that, you know, ego is a, is, is for a lot of, uh, a lot of people, a terrible term, but I think we all have some ego. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be taking pride in what we're doing on a daily basis. And I think there's some ego, some good ego in that, but whenever we want credit for everything, I think that would be obviously a, a bad example of what ego, uh, allowing ego to take over uh, for that. And obviously you do a great, great job with that. And so another thing that I think that, that a lot of players are dealing with right now, and, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Uh, we're living in the data age. And so it can be a really good thing and it can be a really bad thing. It can be uh, super helpful, but it could also be super overwhelming. And so take us through what most players that have come to you, if that conversation has come up, if you don't mind, just kind of take us through what they're saying and how you're helping them with it. Because I see it from, from the coaching side a lot, but I, I, I rarely get the opportunity to hear like an unfiltered version of what the players truly think about you know x y and z uh, with data but I'd, I'd love to hear you know what you're getting to getting to hear from them yeah i think one thing that comes to mind first is that and you, you just brought this up and it's a great thing to to really unpack real quick is i don't work for a team i work for the player themselves so they tell me a lot of the stuff that you, for example, won't hear right. during the season. And it doesn't mean because they, you know, they, they don't like you. They don't, that some of it really, and a lot of it, I should say, is I don't make out the lineup card. 
I don't release them or sign them. And so there's that wall that comes down saying that, listen, Kev, I, I'm just, there's, I'm drowning in this information. I always say hitters are drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. And like, I just can't take it. My organization is, they got so much stuff going on and they're not listening to me and they want me to meet these points and they do want me to do these drills and they won't let me, they won't listen to me and all that. And I get a lot of that on my side, guys that are just frustrated that no one's listening to them and they're getting force fed with a lot of information that quite frankly for them may work for somebody else, but for them, they're just totally frustrated and they feel like their development's going backwards, but they can't really lash out at the hitting coordinator or the R&D department or, uh, you know, the GM, depending on what level they're at, um, you know, so they, they, they seek other people um, who they can kind of get right. And there's no judging, like I said, and there's no lineup cards and being drawn out. And I have no say in the matter other than helping you as the player. So they're, they're coming a lot of times. They're just drowning in that information or looking for some wisdom. They're trying to find clarity, trying to sift through that clutter. Um, and and just find something that's simple, repeatable, that makes sense to them in their own language, um, and that they can they can navigate with and they feel comfortable with. And I think a lot of times we got you know you know these R and D departments that have a lot of people, a lot of smart people in it. Um, but what's happening is there's a, a lot of guys that are just pouring over the information, in my opinion, and they're not. Um, being able to say, hey, do you want this or do you not want this? Um, does this person learn through this avenue of learning? Does he like video? Does he need video? Does he not? Like there's some guys I work with that they're, you know, we'll be banning them from the video room because they, <laughs> they they overthink things or you give them a little bit more of this. Um, because at the end of the day, the numbers are just a result of your process and your purposes um, and all your preparation. So Um, you know, I think it, I think it could be really good just to bring back and say, Hey, listen, all right. Um, guys like, well, the organization wants me to have a 30 degree launch angle on this exit velocity. And, you know, he's getting beat with fastballs and beating him in the ground. And you just say, Hey, just catch the ball out front. And all of a sudden they go back and they're like, yeah, now they like me. But what the organization didn't do is they didn't teach them how to get that number. They just said, go get the number and go get them. So that's where the clarity comes in through the clutter, I feel. And I think that um, you're just trying to, again, help them understand, like, what's the purpose behind all those numbers for them? And do they need to worry about them or not? Or do they need to concern themselves with it or not? Because at the end of the day, man, if you're banging the ball around the ballpark and driving guys in and winning ball games, and you're, you're hitting for a good average, which I still think uh, means something in today's game, um, um, it can be done. A lot of guys still do it to this day that uh, at the end of the day, like the numbers will all figure itself out. And those guys that uh, they're in the R&D departments, they'll, they'll love your numbers. GMs will love your numbers, coordinators maybe. But at the end of the day, um, you're going to be a productive baseball player because you're doing things that matter for you. And then you're, you're going through the process of things, your approach, your purpose to your everyday routines and your maintenance and in-game stuff. And you look back at the end of the year and your numbers are going to be right where you want them. Oh, really, really good. And I love that you're talking about clarity and helping them to understand, you know, what, the, what those numbers truly mean. And then, like you mentioned, had the how behind, how do we, how do we change that? And how do we get to that? Because again, like you mentioned, there's going to be goals for every player from the organization that helps them to, you know, ideally become better. 
And it's, it's, you know, it's our fault as coaches if we don't explain the how behind it. So that's really, really good. Uh, and I, again, I, I like that a lot. And so let's, let's talk about the in-game process. And obviously game planning is a huge part in the professional game now and, and trying to help players, you know, go up to the plate with clarity and, you know, maybe, uh, a clear mind, uh, you could say. And so let's, let's talk about what you're doing to help players prepare from your side uh, for the next day. So let's say that they called you in between starts or, or, you know, whenever. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that and let's break that down a little bit. Yeah. Game planning is everything. And it's been around for so long. I feel like, you know, back when you used to have the stat packs, you know, you go through, you know, you could still extract stuff out of there where you look at a guy's strikeouts per innings, you know, like whip, right. Hits per inning, strike outs per innings mm -hmm. you look if you had a lot of wild pitches probably had a split uh look for opponent's batting average um you know all that stuff you could formulate game plans but the other even back in the day just leaning on the rail and watching not a lot of guys do that today you know i always i always scratch my head with the modern day players especially in the big leagues they go back and after they're at bat and they're looking at their swing sit on the rail and watch the rest of the game Try to pick up tendencies from and patterns from the pitcher. Release points, glove up, glove down. You know, whatever it is, guys used to do that way more. Now guys are always in the video room, and I and they wonder why they have a trouble game planning. So today, certainly with technology, you know, there's there's really cool things with you know uh, even with machines and stuff you can do before games with pitch shapes and stuff. And um, now there's certainly a little bit further advanced, but game planning has always been important in the game. Um, knowing going home and knowing who you're facing the next day. Now I get it. Not all levels you're going to be able to do that. High school, even college. And, but again, we used to watch bullpens. I remember in high school, man, just watch the guy warm up in the bullpen. I go to a, an amateur game now. Everybody's just so worried about you know what kind of shoes they're wearing or swag they got. And dude's warming up in the bullpen and he's spiking 22 curveballs in the dirt. And, and the kids are going up there and I, I'll say, hey, you know, what pitch did he throw for a strike? I don't know. Well, the dude just warmed up for 15 minutes down there, and you, if you just watch, you know that you're just hitting sure. fastballs right now because he can't get over the breaking ball. You know, so simple stuff like that that you can do even at the at the amateur level. You know, just game planning like we always did. So it's a huge it's a huge piece of it. I don't know if it's um, really harped upon nowadays because right, we all we do we see swings. We don't hear uh, a ton of people talking about that game plan. Certainly, there are really good people that do talk about it and they do a great job with it so any hitters listening out there is listen um, I'm not saying that you're going to know what's coming in every situation um, but your approach you got to know for, in terms of your approach you got to know what pitch you hit the best and where on that plate the less than two strikes you hit the pitch the best and you got to have an approach and, and stick with it uh, I'll tell the older guys I said we're not dating an approach this is not like a weekend fling thing um, down for senior week. I'm talking about we got to put a ring on it, marry it, commit to it. Um, if you say that you know you hit a fastball on the outer third of the plate and that's where your natural swing plays with less than two strikes because of where your swing is and where you stand in the box, for example, then the pitcher works for you, man, less than two strikes. You know, that's where it's got to be, um, for example. So, you know, understanding that, yeah, what the pitcher has. I mean, back in the day, too, it's like, all that we were really concerned about was how hard does he throw for timing and what's his out pitch and that still plays today 
how hard does he throw? So I know I time up the fastest pitch he throws in that range. And what's his out pitch? So for two strikes, what's he going to throw? So again, we don't need the, the fancy game plans that they have in the big leagues, again, which are nice. It makes your job a little bit easier. Sure. Uh, but you can do that in high school and college. And you can just learn, again, you learn a lot by observing. And you can start, uh, you bring your approach up there, but then in terms of understanding what that guy's doing, you can make adjustments throughout the game. And that's something I don't see a lot of, is kids being able to make adjustments in games. Certainly I wasn't like that either when I was younger, but someone taught me how to do it. And I think if you're going to be a good coach out there too, is take advantage of that, be able to teach those guys uh, not only their approach that works for them, but also uh, how to make adjustments based upon what they're watching, being on the rail, watching the game, talking with each other, talking with teammates about the game, um, and then being able to make those in-game adjustments because of your game planning plus what you see during the game. Sure, and that leads me to a great question, which I, you know I've been mulling this around in my mind lately, truly. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that it, we need to learn how to teach the game better, <laughs> like the game within the game, and to help players to understand what to look for, what to watch for. Because, you know, like you mentioned, you watched the game a ton growing up. I did as well. And I also had the added bonus of, you know, having a dad that played in, in the big leagues. So he got to teach me a lot of those things myself. But those are things that I take for granted. Uh, with a lot of kids now because they see, you know, Instagram stories and they see the short snippets on, you know, Baseball Tonight and the MLB Network. But I, I think that we have done a disservice by not being able to teach the game within the game or, or at least making that a priority. And I think especially the younger they are, if it's, it's like chess, the more you know about chess, the more you're going to love it and understand it and want to play it. And I think baseball, in, in a sense, is, is very similar to that. I, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. There's not enough backyard baseball with football, stick ball, whatever you want to call it, or unorganized, organized baseball. And you could argue in a lot of other sports too. Um, listen, I mean, in the neighborhood that we live in, you know, we have an 11 year old son, and, you know, he's not out there playing uh, in a neighborhood like I did. Um, so, you know, we're not, <laughs> uh, we're not any different uh, than a lot, of, a lot of other people. Um, you know, he's like you, um, he's around the big leagues a ton and he's seen a ton. He's 11. So he's, you know, he, he, take, he doesn't even know what he knows right now. Um, and that's absolutely fine. But for example, actually this afternoon, I'm taking him to a practice, um, uh, for a team that, um, you know, he hasn't played on before, but it's a, it's a really cool organization uh, called the Anderson Monarchs in Philadelphia. And um, you might uh, have heard that name. Uh, people are listening. Monet Davis. Um, they played in the Little League World Series a couple of years ago, but she came from Monarchs, and it's, it's a great organization. And Steve Bandora there. But my point is that he's going down. They're just going to have a practice now since you know COVID shut down. He hasn't done any sports since March. And I've been trying to figure out safely where we could you know get him still into that organized, unorganized setting. And I'm just excited for him to go down and just strap on the cleats again and get out there, toss around, get some ground balls, and kind of get back into it a little bit today. Mm-hmm. But not enough kids are just playing, you know, by themselves, organized. And that's where I feel, I feel, and I still do, that's where we learned how to actually play the game, you know, and deal with failure. Dude, my buddy would strike me out 10 times a day in wiffle ball, but I also got him like six or seven times. 
you know, but it wasn't like I was coming home with my head down, like, um, just, just floored because I struck out 10 times. No, like it was trash talking and you, but you did it every day. You learned playing pickle, how to run the bases. You know, you know, you learned, uh, in flag football, for instance, like, are you fast or is that guy, the guy faster than you when someone's chasing you down? Um, there's a lot of adversity through that. Just a lot of different kind of situations that come up that you learn playing on the playground, in this case, baseball. You learned throwing to the right base. You learned how to, like, hey, if you turn third base, we didn't have base coaches, right? You turn around third base and got ball to the outfield. If you got hose at third plate, at home plate, you know that you learned from that. You, you learned either you're slow or and or that guy's got a good arm or something else, right? But you learned it and you were able to fail and you're able to go, but you played so many innings. There's there's uh, guys that I, uh, I'm fortunate enough to walk alongside in the big leagues that you have to teach them the game at the big leagues that you sit and scratch your head that 10, 15 years ago that you already knew in high school, like stuff about the game. And that could be a whole different discussion in terms of how that happened. But, you know, uh, so as a coach, we can't assume that they know anything about the game. So out of respect for them and their career, I think that's a big thing because they're not playing a lot on their own and they're not playing that organized, unorganized stuff and uh, out with their buddies and playing a lot and, and learning the game on their own that we have to assume that they don't even know the rules. So we have to cover all the bases as coaches. And it might be frustrating or we might get some eye rolls. But again, if you truly care about your, about your players and having to play a really good uh, team-oriented game, uh, that's where we need to be. We need to assume that they don't know anything about it so we don't miss any steps. So I don't know if I'm answering the question. I kind of went off there. But those are some things that come to mind initially in terms of, uh, of that, of we, we got to get um, more kids, and myself included, with my son, you know, get them into situations where there's no coaching and let them kind of figure things out because um, there's, there's players in the field that know what they're doing. Like my son at 11, he knows enough about the game. But he also, you know, um, <laughs> you know, he also has a lot to learn in terms of he's way behind on innings played, mm-hmm. way behind on innings played. And I'm not talking to showcase. We don't do travel ball. And I'm not saying travel ball is bad. So please, I don't need any messages on travel balls. Bad. There's some bad things about travel ball, but we're not here to talk about that. But I'm saying that he's behind on innings play, where he's even um, at my age playing hockey, at his age rather, playing hockey for me, I was still playing a lot of wiffle ball, a lot of stick ball, a lot of tennis ball, aluminum bat back in the day in the backyard. So I was playing a ton of baseball but it wasn't with a uniform so to speak if that makes sense no definitely and i think you know i got the opportunity to uh, at, coach at a high school under a, you know, a guy that was recently entered or inducted into uh, the oklahoma baseball coaches hall of fame and one of the first things that that he said to us in our first meeting was assume they know nothing you know out of respect for them you know don't assume that they're idiots but just assume that that you need to break it down for everyone as if they don't know it because a lot of them may. And then a lot of, you know, there may be several that have never heard that thing before. And so out of respect for the entire group to be able to do that. Uh, But let's, let's go ahead and we're going to go ahead and go to a lightning section. And I love these questions just because they're quick hitters and they get, uh, they get the guests and myself to know you a little bit better, but what's the biggest lesson that you learned as a young coach? Ask a better question and listen. 
There it is. Mic drop. End of the show. <laughs> like uh, you said That's lightning good. round. So, you know, good. when Joe says that on our podcast, I got to get it in and get it out because he yells at me. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, what's a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? Um, I'm not a huge guy on one size fit all drills. Sure. Um, but one to answer the question and to, uh, I think it's probably co- one of the most, I guess, closest to universal um, as possible is the seven ball drill. Um, which is you lay seven balls in the front of the plate, one being in the inside corner, seven being the outside corner, and four will be like middle cut. And uh, throw them BP or chair BP and have them swing at everything as a hit and run um, so they're not taking any balls. And so you have them swing at everything, and when they make contact, they got to tell you over which baseball on the ground there, one through seven inside corner to outside corner, over which ball did they make contact with. So – you threw it down the middle and they swung and hit it and they say four, then they're right on. But you as a coach also could tell them if they're one or two off or sometimes they could be three or four off because um, they just don't know the plate that well or their strikes on that well. Um, and at the end of that, throw them 10, 15, 20 by doing that. And then you ask them over what four baseballs do you think your swing plays the most natural where you drive the ball without even thinking about it? And then let them pick out whether it's three through six or four through seven or one through four, wherever they're standing on the plate. And then you take the other three balls away and then you throw them another 10 to 20 more. And they're only allowed to hit inside that tunnel. And uh, it, it goes back to just because it's a strike doesn't mean you have to swing at it. Um, it that plays off of that. So uh, for me, a seven ball drill um, is really good at having them understand understand not only their strike zone but the game strike zone understand their swing what they can and can't get to um, it allows them to formulate going back to that game plan a better game plan with less than two strikes going into it knowing that pitcher has to throw it in that tunnel and the best hitters you see on tv that's all they do a lot of guys in the big leagues just sit middle middle now because a lot of pitchers they don't hit their spots as well as they used to so they're gonna home runs are up because you see those heat maps are right down the middle so everybody builds their own tunnel and you're trying to teach them uh, to master their strengths, not the pitchers. Oh, really good. I love that. This one is kind of a complex question, and take as much time as you need. I, I Maybe you can help me to ask a better question. You talk, talk about asking better questions to get better answers. But what is something that you want your players to do that you think is important, but it may go unnoticed by most people? So... Uh, you know me, I love working in the shadows behind the scenes and uh, a big part of that, and this goes back to the life thing, is how you do anything is how you do everything. And so I want you to be very detail-oriented in everything that you do because it's your career. Um, and if it's important to you, you're going to have a purpose for everything that you do and you're going to understand why you do everything that you do. And the details do matter, right? Those little things, they turn into big things. So if, you, if I can trust you as a player with the little things, putting the ball on the tee right, for example, then I can trust you with building out your tunnel. And if you can do that in BP, then I can trust you with the bigger things of hitting the inside of the baseball in your tunnel to center field during the game, for example. So I love guys um, that can regurgitate back to me exactly why they do what they do. Um, and they have a purpose to every single thing that they do, what they put into their bodies, how much sleep they get, uh, what they write in their hitting journals to, um, you know, 
their off the field relationships, uh, who they let into their inner circle or not. And it goes on and on and on, but it's, it's really uh, helping them understand uh, from an early age on is how you do anything is how you do everything. And uh, the details do matter in the game of baseball and in the game of life. I love that. Great answer. And then finally, I'm, I'm going to plug both of your books. Uh, I, you know, good bat or yeah, good batting came out a little a little while ago, and then you've got another one called Finding Clarity. And I want to encourage our listeners to go, ch- you know, check those out on, on Amazon or, or on your website. But uh, besides those, if you could buy one book, or you could help our guests to experience one resource, or you could really just give them one piece of advice that you know is going to make them better, what would that be? That's a tough question for me as the guy that individualizes everything. Sure. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> uh, but I'll give you, I'll give you this. Uh, uh, for me, outside of the Bible, in terms of a leadership uh, book, um, you know, for me, um, uh, the inner game of golf. You may have otherwise known the inner game of tennis. May have heard it. Tim Galway's written both, mm-hmm. but the the inner game of golf um, to me really helps with um, understanding how to lead, teach, mentor, and listen um, because it really walks everybody who reads it through kind of, again, what's your purpose behind doing what you do and uh, really putting others first and serve others and understanding how to listen and how to ask that good question. And and really um, that book, yeah, it, it'll help you navigate the golf course, the <laughs> Tennis court, obviously the baseball field mm-hmm. as a player or a coach. But in, the, in this case, I always recommend that book. And in fact, I gifted it out to somebody, another coach this summer. Um, try to find, I think it's on Amazon still. It's, it's been out for a while, but it's a, it's a short book. It's a thin book, um, but it's impactful to me. So that's what I would encourage uh, people, that if they have not read it, to go check it out and um, um, pick up the tennis one or the golf one by Tim Galway. Fantastic. It's probably my, the inner game of tennis is probably the one book that I tell all players to read. And it's one that, that I didn't even read until I'm an avid reader and I love to, but I didn't read it until last year. And I wish that I had done it a whole lot earlier. So fantastic resource, fantastic books. And Galway does a, does an awesome job of breaking, breaking that stuff down. And it's like, I, I think 30 years old. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty it's old, old book. Yeah. It's, and that's when you know, it's good true because the principles that are in that book they last a lifetime and uh i think just the other thing just kind of expand on that real quick is um you know in anything that we do it's just another reminder so we don't need to write a book right but again going back to that five minutes is how are you gonna you know what legacy are you gonna leave as a coach you know we talked about weddings but like what is something that you're going to be able to um uh, plant that seed or shine that light into somebody that they're going to remember or take with them the rest of their lives. And the hard part as a coach or a mentor or a teacher or a leader is we don't always know what sticks with people, right? Like it's so tough sometimes where you think that you landed the plane with somebody and you get crickets, <laughs> you know, especially if you're a high school coach or a college guy or you know, somebody younger, you're like, man, I thought I just landed that plane and I got no response. So uh, but like, but if we're not doing it for the immediate response, we're doing it for 
the life, the, the playing the long game. We're doing this for life. And so, um, yeah, a book like Tim's or, or any of those types of uh, people or, or uh, books or just, again, those five minutes, um, you know, I'll, I'll drop Jeff Bannister's name real quick just as an example. Um, there's so many people have just taken five minutes to pour into me and change my life. But Jeff Bannister used to be uh, the Rangers uh, manager a couple years ago and longtime Pittsburgh Pirate. He's a dear friend and mentor of mine. And uh, I remember in 2011 or 10, almost 10 years ago, uh, he's bench coach with the Pirates. They're here in Philly. We're on the field before the game for BP. And Benny comes over to me, and, and he was a field coordinator uh, one year I was playing. So I had known he. You know, he had the responsibility of releasing me one year. So, um, you know, he had that fun job. Um, but he told me, he stuck his finger in my chest and he said, he goes, Willie, because I was in between like, hey, can I do this consulting thing? Can I jump from the lessons to do this pro consulting thing when no one was really doing it the way I wanted to do it back then? And uh, he goes, big leaguers need you. You can do this and you're the right guy for it. And, and he's, he's, I've told him multiple times how much I'm thankful for it. And, you know, he's awesome. He always brushes it aside, but you know, that's the power. He took five minutes out of, out of batting practice, stick his finger in my chest 10 years ago saying I can do what I'm doing today. That's what I'm talking about that. Now he's changed my life. He gave me confidence to go do what I'm doing today. Therefore I can help somebody new today with my five minutes because he took that five minutes and it goes on and on and on. So people are still kind of wondering like, man, I don't have five minutes. I want to tell you that, that, that he's one of many, but that's one example of something I'm doing this today because I had doubts. And after that day, when he lifted me up in that five minutes here, I'm doing this. And here we are today on this podcast. So you can touch a person's life and change their life. Um, but if you're intentional about it and you, you care about them, man, the sky's the limit. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.